Welcome to Manager Tools. Politics 101, Chapter 6, Politics Are Just Relationships, Part 2. This cast answers these questions. Should I play politics? How can I get better at office politics? Why does politics have a bad reputation? Well, if you want answers to these and more, keep listening. Here we go. Now, I want to take an aside here and mention something I've told thousands of people over the last 20 years. If you ask me right now, in 2018, one of the potentially systemic weaknesses of our present professional development, talent management, talent development systems that exist in organizations in the world, and obviously, if you're an organization of 10 people, you probably don't have a talent development system in place. So we're talking generally about larger organizations, organizations in the hundred plus million dollar turnover or revenue range. There's a fundamental problem right now, in my opinion, at the top of organizations where the world has become more technological, particularly in the area of software. And we need more executives who have been exposed to that world. The world of delivering software, the, the, the world of risk associated with online activities, so on. And so what you would assume would happen is we would reach into the technological part of our organization and all things being equal, if there are two people being considered for a more senior, more uh, fiduciary role, more of a senior executive role, more of a top 50 role in the organization, we might have a slight bias, not to a person, but to a person with a particular type of background, because we're trying to build the right talent skill base in our senior leadership team. And that person might very well be a software person, an engineer, something like that. There's actually been some efforts at this over the last number of years, uh, not enough to be systemic. And there's been some struggles with this. And the reason why is essentially because there's a higher percentage of people in the technological world, the engineers, the accountants, the finance people of the world. Guys, I know that's an overgeneralization, but bear with me for a minute. What ends up happening is a high C, an analytical, perfectionist, logical, linear, rational, factual, analytical person gets promoted to be an executive. And he or she then recognizes something that's very dangerous. Um, actually, they probably recognize it too late. And that is they are now going to have to make decisions with only about a 5% of the information that they want. And for too many of them who want to analyze and be logical and rational, they simply say, I, I need more information. And the executive team responds back, you're not going to have it. This is the information we have. The next quarter is coming up. We have to make a decision about this product. And too many analytical, logical, non-relationship builders, non-political players, non-collaborators go back to their office and sit and look at their charts and look at their graphs and try to figure out how they can get more information, which they will never be able to amass enough to draw a conclusion. You can't boil the ocean when you're an executive unless you want to turn your entire organization into a research arm for you, which will make them gloriously unproductive. And they end up sitting at executive meetings, not wanting to contribute. And when they're told 
in a very roundabout way because executives don't get feedback. We disagree with that, but the fact is executives don't get feedback very much. Things get mentioned to them along the lines of you might want to think about, which I believe we have a career tools cast for, if not a manager tools cast. It gets mentioned to them that, hey, you know, you're at the table. We expect to hear from you. And they say, yeah, I know, but I mean, there's just no way I can draw a really strong conclusion. And the other person says, yeah, okay, I get it. You know, to some degree, I understand it. It's frustrating a little bit to not know the things you need to know to understand the chaos of the outside world. But in case you're not understanding this, sitting at the table requires you to speak. It's a non-negotiable. If you're an executive, you're supposed to speak. If you don't have an opinion, which is proven by the fact that you don't offer one, we don't need you, okay? And the person, whoa. And by the way, you may think you have time to gather more information and more enough power in the organization to gather more information to help you make these logical and rational and apolitical decisions, except that when you get promoted to this level, they take away a third of your time. And the third of that time is spent in meetings with a bunch of other people, only some of which is related to what you do. And that's why executives complain about being meetings all the time, because you need to be exposed to other people whose relationships you should be coveting and who you we recommend you be collaborating with. What you call politics when you look up at what happens at the top of the organization is what they call collaboration. That's how executive life is. It's a lot of very small things done to allow them to collaborate with one another. The less political you are, and by that I mean the less strong your relationships are across the organization, the less likely you are to be successful. So, dude, let me add something here, which is one of the problems high C's have, right? They want all the details. They want all the facts. They're not terribly strong on relationships. And so they go into a meeting and they don't contribute because they're afraid of being wrong. Yep. And they may have an idea that may be the right one, but the fear of being wrong is much bigger than the potential joy of being right. The one thing a high C doesn't want to do is be wrong. And so they don't say anything because if they don't say anything, they're not wrong. Yeah, that's right. And with their friends, if they're sitting at home, they're having a barbecue, they're sitting with their friends, they give opinions about everything, about politics, about religion, about stuff they probably shouldn't even be talking about. They'll give opinions. And why is that? Because they're they're sitting around with people they have relationships with. And you have relationships with folks, folks can be forgiving. They're going to give you the benefit of the doubt, right? And yep. listen to you. And if you're high C and you go back to work and you don't build those relationships, when you're sitting around the, with those folks, they're not your friends. You don't have relationships. And so you'll clam up. So get over yourself <laughs> as, a, as yeah. a high C, I'm telling you, get over yourself, develop relationships with these folks. Should we literally get rid of all of our old podcasts and simply do one called Get Over Yourself? And just say, there's the guidance. It's, it's at a high level, folks. But yeah, so, I know. I'm, I'm sure just like, like Mark, Mark's, Mark's so smart. He has, it's all weighed out, <laughs> yeah. all laid out very clearly. And Mike just says, just get over yourself. Yeah. I will tell you that if anyone here thinks that I've got it all laid out, actually, I have thousands of casts to write. I know what we need to write. And all we're doing is telling you all the stuff we didn't do very well. Yeah, there you go. And always remember that one of my top 10 favorite movie lines Probably my favorite movie line is, hi, I'm Archie Graham. But the top 10 is uh, in Egypt when Indiana Jones has just watched the Ark of the Covenant being driven away in a deuce and a half truck toward Cairo. And he says, I'm going to Cairo. Meet me at Omar's. And 
I'm going after that truck. And Salah says, how? <laughs> this is the ode of all executives in your organization, despite how they may appear to you or want to appear to you. Indiana Jones's next line is, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. So Mike and I both made up our careers as we went, and we don't want you to go through what we went through. We made these mistakes, Mike and I, particularly on the political thing. I was public about it. He was not, which made my mistakes that much more obvious. If I look back at my career, there's one thing I would do differently. This would be it. This yeah. is, this would be it. Let me tell you something, folks. Five years ago, I wouldn't have known to say this, but thanks to you as an audience, I think about this stuff all the time now, and I've learned. What I used to say was one of the biggest mistakes in my career, if not the biggest, was not being politically savvy early in my career. Now I know that what I should have said and should have known is I didn't build strong enough relationships early enough in my career. Now I have them because I, you know, fool me once, <laughs> shame on me, or fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah. So I learned that politics are just relationships and it doesn't feel like politics when you have strong relationships. So you don't have to play politics unless somebody else sees you doing it and they'll say you're playing politics. What you have to do is cultivate trusting, professional, solid relationships. All right. Can you imagine the difference in the board meeting for the high C now who has relationships where it feels like you're sitting around a table with a bunch of friends who trust and love you and respect you and you're able to contribute without feeling judged? Does, does that seem like a different like a different experience maybe? Yeah. And because the high D and the high I and the high S at that table don't have the data that you have, when the high I goes, I think we should do X, you say, thanks, Bob. That's good. I, you know, I can totally get that. And Here's some data we may want to look at. And then the high eye Bob goes, yeah, okay, maybe my idea wasn't a good one. And then suddenly the high C has strength because he combines relationships. She combines relationships with analytics. So let's go back to the analogy I was using. So the VP of sales and the VP of manufacturing already know this because they're smart, because we don't want to put dumb people at the top of large organizations. So the VP of sales takes her idea to the vice president of manufacturing, okay? Probably she'll do so in its purest form, the one that will make the most sense to the customer, that will make the most sense to the sales force because they're close to the customer and they see things similarly. And she does that knowing she will not ever get exactly what she has planned. She knows this because her product was generated from a sales perspective, not a holistic organizational perspective. It didn't include manufacturing and engineering and logistics and supply chain and finance and capital and hiring and macroeconomics and, 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 and. Now, what'll come out of that conversation and it'll actually be a series of conversations, and there'll probably be some pre-wiring involved. And if you don't know what pre-wiring is, go to a website and look it up. Um, is some collaborative compromise, a product that the VP of sales can sell, which the VP of manufacturing can also manufacture in a way such as so as he can meet his incentives, his budgets, his capital requirements, his hiring needs, and so on. Now, 
what comes out of the sausage-making process. And for those of you who are perhaps not native English and American speakers, when I say sausage-making, there's an old joke that the two things you never want to see made are sausage and laws. There's a joke that politics is sausage-making. You grind some, a bunch of stuff up and it turns into something else. What comes out of that process, that collaboration, that naked politics that appears to be five levels down, you know, the sales force goes, why didn't our VP of sales keep that really cool feature that we really thought made the sales super easy? And the answer is tooling would have been too expensive, but she didn't know that until she talked to the VP of manufacturing because they haven't invented an alloy hard enough to do what you want to do. Why is the price that high? You know, we thought it would be priced at X. We were thinking 15% less. Answer, the vice president of manufacturing has budget to meet too, and he needs to spend now to fill the supply chain to meet timing needs that the VP of sales says this will really make a difference in Q2 next year. And by the way, why can't we get a couple of extra features that we really thought would have been trivially easy? Unfortunately, you could have them, but not without missing the selling window that the VP of sales was pretty adamant about. Now, does the sales force know all the answers that I just presented to their questions? It's very unlikely. The VP of sales isn't going to constantly shuttle between her org and if she did, it would only be direct reports. And then they would then have to cascade it down. And we're talking about a three-month process probably to create this product and get it agreed to and setting up the capital and the funding and the budget and the people and so on. And the cascade of communications, the waterfall of communications in the organization would literally, in the sales organization and in the manufacturing organization, would be nothing but this. What the organization, what the sales organization gets and by the way, their manufacturing cousins similarly get, is the result of all that. You don't get updated every single step along the way about why your feature is not included, why the price is higher, why you can't have it then if you ask for this and so on. Why don't our VPs communicate all this? Guys, not only because you can't fill the cascade, the organizational communication cascade with all the ongoing plans and procedures and processes, but for the most part, to them, to the senior people, this is how it's done. The collaborative process, the horse trading, the log rolling is normal. All of those about horse trading and log rolling, both political phrases, okay? Neither one ever thought they were going to end up where they started. The beginning conversations were around a product, yeah, but really they were about the idea of a product, product zero that never gets produced. The product is what comes out of the collaboration, but not to the sales force or the manufacturing organization. To everyone else, there appears to have been political compromises made. We, we got less than what we wanted. And both organizations think this. Both organizations apply an unreasonable, purely rational, or financial rationale to the process, and both see something different coming out of it. And lo and behold, politics, they scream. Oh my God, no, no. What you call politics, they call collaboration. And look, it goes further than this. Our VPs know they're going to have many conversations like this one. Therefore, the effective ones are constantly doing favors for one another. 
They're asking for favors. Now you say, ooh, favors. Oh my gosh, I think people get indicted for doing favors. Okay, folks, sorry, don't be an idiot, okay? If you're the VP of sales and you're the VP of manufacturing and you know that your VP of manufacturing loves opera and you have a friend who's on the board and can get him tickets to Tosca with the greatest diva of all time, you're going to go give those tickets to VP of manufacturing. And by the way, your spouse is probably smart enough to know that's the right thing to do. That's funny. My line of this podcast is get over yourself and yours is don't be an idiot. Yeah, we're, we're making friends <laughs> left and right out yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, we'll look at the stats. Everybody tuned out at this point. You know, yeah, may, maybe they've tuned out, but I'll tell you, Mike and I have been doing this every week for 13 years. If you don't know, we love you guys. There's there's no amount of there's showering no hope you with for you or us. Will, yes, yeah. Uh, abandon hope, all ye who enter here. And they're keeping track of the favors they do for one another. They're constantly testing the wind about their relationship with every other person, a level above them, a level at them, and a level below them that they have relationships with, okay? They're giving something for nothing right now, which might mean work for their organization. If you're a director of sales, you might get asked to do something that has no benefit to you. And you might find out later, or you might be smart enough to surmise now that it's totally political. And that will allow you or your organization to get something else in return later. This is the nature of human organizations. And it makes no sense to you. I, I've, <laughs> if you don't see, if, you, if the political leverage your boss gets remains unseen to you, and it will be perhaps spent in that product creation dialogue we just gave, this currency of relationships and compromise and collaboration is fundamental to human organizations. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation in my career with directs or directs of directs. Like, why are you making me do this? Why do we have to spend the weekend to do this? Yeah. Time and time again. Yeah. So next time we need something, we have something to trade. It's called reciprocity. Look it up. Yeah. Get over yourself. Now, let me make an analogy here because I brought up I alluded to Silicon Valley and, and uh, the software industry and so on. And I want to address something that's probably creeping around in the back of some of your minds. If you're thinking it, yes, the growth of the software industry generally, as uh, now I'm going to forget his name. I love this guy. Kessler, Andy Kessler wrote many years ago in the Wall Street Journal, Software is Eating the World. The growth of the software industry has, to some degree, has blurred these lines a little bit. When I give you an example about machining or about capital, some of the people who are listening to us who are in software development or even technologically more broadly are going, no, nah, that's not actually the way it is. You know, manufacturing non-hard goods is less problematic than machining steel, for instance. You don't need to source the steel or get special tooling modifications in style, right? Okay. But this is still a fundamental truth, guys. And don't miss this. The example we use, I could easily change it to a technological one. And I encourage one of you to write me, several of you to write me and tell me, hey, here's how that would be translated into my world. I'd love to hear it. And I'll be happy to share it with our audience at some point in the future. If you don't see this as a fundamental truth, and if you fixate on the details of our example, our illustrative example, and you then gloss over this, the nature of relationships and therefore politics, 
That's going to be at your political and therefore at your career peril. Senior execs in all industries, every single one of them, live with the, quote, I think this is normal collaboration, but my organization sees what I'm doing as political compromising, unquote. Now, in the software industry, the organizational operational culture versus, say, the HR culture, what HR says about the people, skews left on that disc scale toward the logic and linearity, rationality, factuality. That means that generally, whatever ease of product creation and delivery that exists in processes, because you don't have as much investment on the front end to bin steel, as an example, is actually offset by an increased insensitivity to the political machinations necessary for people to collaborate successfully. I see this all the time in technological companies. Yeah, very true. They ask why. Why are we doing it that way? The right thing to do would have been this. Folks, your way of seeing the world is not the right way. It's your way. We don't see the world the way the world is. We see the world the way we are. The right way, if you've never been an executive and you're looking up and judging an executive, keep it to yourself. <laughs> Because once you go there, you'll discover, oh, it's different than what I thought. Right. Well, as an old boss of mine, Louise Charles, told me one time, Mike, stop worrying so much about being right. Be effective. <laughs> there you go. Dude, I had Louise Charles in my mind when I was writing this. And I had Colonel Texera and Major Dooley and others who, you know, who I had very, or Mickey Harden as an example. Um in my mind when I was writing this. So yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to play politics. I don't want to play politics. Yeah, I thought that once. To my peril. <laughs> this is good. A lot of background, but for those who want to be executives, this might be one of the more important podcasts you will hear. It's important to get this through your head. I wonder whether or not we ought to change it to Executive Tools Chapter 3 or something versus... Politics 101, Chapter 6. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it can be in two different places. Thanks, everyone. That's it for this week. We'll continue on this topic next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.